0: And I only made that in three takes. (laughs) That's awesome. Miss Jenny helped me with that. Thank you. All right, let's go into the Word. You ready? You ready for the Word? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, going verse by verse, and we will get through verse 6 today, unless the Lord comes back. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Paul can finish this on the other side if we're, we're caught up, so... 2 Corinthians 10, look at verse 1, it's through verse 6. Let's read. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in, the presence, uh, who in presence I am lowly among you, but being absent, I am bold towards you. But I beg you that when I'm present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as though we just walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Let's pray over our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you so much for the Word of God. It's filled with nourishment for us, and we're going to appropriate it by faith. And Lord, I thank you that we'll be nourished by it today. Holy Spirit, again, we call upon you as the divine teacher to anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person that's listening. Open them by the gift of your grace and cause them to see, hear, and understand what's being said. Father, I thank you that you're going to cause your children to walk away, each person getting something that they needed from you. And only you can do this work, this miracle. I believe it's happening right now in Jesus' name. Amen? All right, let's go to verse 1 and start unpacking this. It says, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in the presence I'm lowly among you, but being absent, I'm bold towards you. We're going to see a change of the tone of Paul the Apostle here. Up until this time, he's been exhorting lovingly. He's been gentle with them, encouraged them all along the way. But in the next four chapters, he's going to be stern. And he's going to sometimes use sarcasm. So raise your hand if your sarcasm can be used by God. Hallelujah. Make sure it's used by God. But Paul will end up having sarcasm and using it uh, in a godly way. And so, well, what was the big reason? Why all of a sudden would he change his tone from the first nine chapters and then the last four, he's going to get quite stern with them. Up until this time, he's been dealing with the majority in the congregation that's for him that love him, that supports his ministry. In 1 Corinthians, he corrected them as a church by whole. Most of them all at one point needed correction. And so by and large, the majority repented. Majority of them come under the apostolic ministry of Paul, loved Paul, but there was still a minority that did not, did not enjoy getting corrected, did not receive correction. And then after Paul had left, some false teachers entered in. Judaizers came in and started teaching false things bringing them into bondage and but they they started lying about paul and so paul had lies told about him welcome to to the being in leadership you'll have some people talk about you and so paul had this happen so when he left false teachers came in started lying about paul we're going to look at some of the lies that they were telling about paul and paul's going to give a vindication of his ministry. And it's really speaking to the minority here, and he's going to be quite harsh. You know, Jesus is that way. He was gentle. Jesus was gentle with almost everybody but the Pharisees.
1: Yeah.
0: You know what? You know, if you, they were, you know, for those that were the Republicans and sinners, <laughs> he was so gentle and merciful and kind to them. But let me tell you, to the Pharisees, I mean, he called them snake faces. Yeah. Yeah. You vipers, you, oh, you whitewashed tombstones, twice the son of hell. And, yeah. and, and so he was quite stern with them. Yeah. And there's times that that was. Paul was just like Jesus, and he said, I wanted to deal with you in gentleness and love. And most of the church in the time in Second Corinthians, he's been that way, but now he's going to get stern. And so the time in the ministry, you want to be gentle with people, kind towards people, but there's times that you're going to be stern with some. Now, in leadership, raise your hand if you feel like you're called to some form of leadership in the body of Christ. Let me help you out a little bit. There's two types of people you're going to come across in the ministry the first one is what i call thumbtacks the other ones are nails a thumbtack is you just need a little gentle pressure and they'll respond to that but there's some that are nails you have to hit them between the eyes to get through to them what you're trying to say and so again there's not very many of those but you got to deal with that differently but guys you can't use a hammer on everybody don't use the hammer first you know you're going to damage a thumbtack you're going to break it And so, but there are some nails you got to deal with, and Paul's going to start dealing with the nails in the congregation. He's going to hit them right between the eyes and not pull any punches here. And so, in the first nine chapters, Paul addresses the deceived, but now he's going to address the deceivers and those who are in rebellion. And so what are some accusations leveled against Paul by these false teachers that had been bought by a minority of the congregation? The first one was that he was not a true apostle because he lacked credentials from the Jerusalem church. The false teachers came in and they started puffing themselves up and they said, look at our degrees. I have this degree from Jerusalem school and, and we, we, you know, we're the official uh, ones designated by the early church and we're, we're in Jerusalem and so we are God's designated ministers and they started proclaiming their own selves and so they said this paul you know did he did he tell you that he was a super apostle did he have what's his right did he tell you anything? no he didn't did you because he's not he's not anything he's a deceiver next thing they were saying is his motives were insincere he wants you to receive an offering and and he's not even going to be here and he wants you to get all this money and then he's going to leave with that offering hmm he's going to steal your money So they were lying about Paul, his motives. Next of all, they said he's not a true apostle because when he was here, he didn't demand you to support him. If he was a big time minister, he would have you support him. But since he didn't have you support him, he didn't receive any money, that means he's nothing. And so they're just twisting things around. Paul's gonna answer all of these in the next four chapters. Next of all, they say his letters or his epistles were bold, but he never backed them up in person. And lastly, they're going to talk about that he was uh, a, not a good orator. He wasn't a good speaker. Matter of fact, Paul's going to admit to it. I am not a good orator. I'm not a good in speech, but I'm not lacking in revelation. And so Paul's going to bring all these things out, but his tone's going to change. And, and Paul was a velvet hammer. Yeah. A velvet hammer. What's that mean? That's someone that on the outside that's very soft, and, and that's the main way they are. They're gentle and they're kind and they're gentle, but they can be firm when they need to be. I've met some in my some mentors I've had in my life that I call velvet hammers. And so uh, out of Grace Church, we had an associate pastor, Chip. And Chip mentored me and Joanne in the ministry, our first mentors. And he was just a gentle and loving, kind, godly man. And he just made everyone feel from the janitor all the way up to the highest level in the church as that they were a good friend of Chip. And Chip was just a gentle, loving man, but he could be firm. I experienced that one day when... Uh, he was over the singles group and I was under him in the singles and I wanted to have a singles party for New Year's Eve and I wanted a cowboy theme. So I wanted to bring in hay bales into our classroom. And I said, yeah, we want to do that. And Chip goes, no, I don't want hay in the church. And so I came back I said, no, no, you don't understand. We'll clean it all up. We'll make sure it doesn't happen and and it'll be good. And he answered back just one sentence. He says, will a soft no suffice? (laughs) Yes, sir. We'll go somewhere else, sir. But he was firm. And I saw that when when someone would come in and they had wrong motives towards the women, he would stand up right in their face. He was extremely strong. He was a velvet hammer. And so in the ministry, you have sometimes to have to be a velvet hammer. And Paul says, you know what? I want to be gentle with you. I want to be kind because that's the nature of Jesus. Look at the first verse. Now, I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Look at the word meekness. It means Power under control. Power under control. It's a picture of a wild stallion that has been trained by the reins. The slightest nudge of the rider can get the stallion to move and follow. It's, it's power under control. So meekness is not weakness. Next, gentleness means leniency. Have you noticed that Jesus is lenient with you? You come into his presence. He loves on you. He's not going to beat you over the head. But you know what? Jesus Christ can be, he can be corrective. He can be sharp, just like with the Pharisees. And Paul says, you know what? I'm going to speak to you in the same manner of Jesus, and I, I've been gentle and meek up to this point. But you know what? I, I plan to be sharp, though, with some that I need to be sharp with. And so Paul knew how to be sharp at the right time with people. Look at Second Corinthians 13.10. Paul brings out that he, had to be, he, he has to use sharpness from time to time. In leadership. For second Corinthians 13 10 says, Therefore I write these things being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness, according to the authority which the Lord's given to me, for edification, not for destruction. And so he says, I want to be meek, I want to be gentle, but I can be firm. So please, let's not make it that way when I get there. And he says, In presence I'm lowly among you. You know who else was lowly? Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty nine says, Take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. That's the heart of Jesus. And so in the ministry with most people, you need to be gentle and meek with them. But there are some that you need to be sharp with them and, and usually to protect the congregation. Look at verse 2. It says, But I beg you that when I'm present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some. That's the minority in the congregation who think of us as though we walked according to the flesh. And so Paul says, there's going to be some that I, that I know that I'm going to have to deal with hardly or with, with harshness when I get there. And so Paul said this, he said, who think of us as we walked according to the flesh. You know that people are going to have opinions of you. Some opinions are going to be right on. Some opinions are going to be wrong in your leadership. But you need to realize that you've got to be prepared for that because if you want opposition, to make a decision. Raise your hand if you'd like to be president of the United States one day. And usually, you know, it's the few people who want I'd love to, but okay, are you prepared to make every decision you make to make half the country angry at you? Because that's going to happen over and over again because make a decision, you're going to make everybody angry. Well, I won't make any decisions and I'll get everybody happy. No, you'll make everybody mad at you. And so in leadership, you need to make some decisions, and it's not going to be everybody's going to like it. People's going to have opinions of you. And let me say this to you. Some will just have wonderful opinions of you. And the people that will come and they'll praise you, and usually you're never as good as they say you are. But then when they come and criticize you on the other end, you're not as bad as they say you are. So either you're this wonderful thing they put up on the pedestal, or you're just the worst thing that's ever been. There's something in between. And so get your eyes off people's opinion in leadership because you're going to stand before one person one day. Who's that? And it only matters, what does he think of you? And so it's important to do that. And so Paul says, who think of us as one that walked according to the flesh. They just said, you know, he's just guided by personal interest. He just, he's in it for himself. He's in it for the money. And so they, that's what they were, li- they were lying about, Paul. But Paul's not going to be caring so much about what they're thinking. Look at verse 3. But though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Paul says we walk in a human body. We're just like anybody else on the street. We just walk around in a human body, but we're not merely human. Tell someone you're not merely human. I'm an animal. No, no, you're not an animal. I'm not saying that. If you're born again, you're a new creation, a species of being that has never existed before. You're the new creation on the inside, and you have superpowers. You have the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. Tell someone you got the power. Okay, don't get carnal. You're not a mere man or a mere woman. You're a superman or a superwoman. Tell someone next to you you're a superperson. He says we walk around like human beings, but we don't use weapons that natural people use. What's carnal natural people use of the world? Well, their weapons are intimidation, manipulation, physical force. Paul's going to bring out several chapters from now. He says some of these teachers slapped you in the face. They were hitting people to get them in line. Slap them around. Well, sometimes you felt like that. The spirit of slap just wants to come on you. Well, you can't do that in the ministry. Don't. You feel like it? Don't do it because they punch back sometimes <laughs> <clears throat> i would never know praise god so the weapons of intimidation manipulation or physical force paul used the weapons of the word of god the spirit of god and His god-given authority in jesus christ Amen. he used those weapons paul handed some individuals over to satan using the authority god gave him the man caught in adultery with his stepmother in 1 Corinthians, Paul had to hand him over to Satan, a spiritual act, and it got him in line. Satan came against him, and he repented, got back in line with God, back into the church, and it worked. Paul handed a couple of other gentlemen over to Satan. We find that over in Timothy. It says that uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander, I've handed over to Satan that they learned not to blaspheme. And so Paul had that authority to do that. That's the last resort. If they're not going to listen to the word of God, they're not going to be dealt with in gentleness. Then Paul had to deal with them and use his spiritual authority. And so notice it says here, we don't war. Say war. war. That brings out, why would he say war? Because there's a conflict. Well, I thought, I thought the war is over, Pastor. Yes, the war, Jesus won the war. Satan is defeated, but he's not a foe that's been removed off the battlefield. After the Second World War, the armistice was signed, but there were some islands that didn't get the news. They still fought. They were still fighting, and there was still an occupation force that had to still have skirmish, even after the Civil War. They had skirmishes after they signed that at the Appomattox, whatever, Appomattox Courthouse. There were still some skirmishes that had to be done. So we're an occupation force down here because Satan hasn't given up. He's defeated, but he's stupid. I think that guy still thinks he can win. I think he's brain dead. So stupid, you you can, I don't know, still breathe, I guess. Praise God. So the word war, that just brings out we're on a battlefield. We're not on carnal cruise lines. People say, well, pass the the, uh, suntan lotion. We're on carnal cruise lines. No, I'm just resting in Jesus. No, no. You're left on assignment. You didn't get a rapture when you got saved. Why? Well, you're left here, you're on assignment. Yeah. You've been given war. You uh, warfare, you've been given a strategy, and you'll be given weapons. Do you know you've been given the armor of God? Yeah. You've been given the armor of God. And so Jesus wore that armor wherever he went. Matter of fact, the book Isaiah brings out that the Messiah would wear the breastplate of righteousness. He would have this uh, say, uh, the uh, belt, belt of truth he would have the shoes of peace matter of fact all of the armors listed in a book of isaiah talking about the messiah would wear that armor it was the armor of god and whenever he he just whipped the devil all the way from the sea of galilee all the way to jerusalem every time the enemy would come and he would just defeat him over and over and over again with that weapons but one day he took the weaponry off and says this is the day you can have it have your day and on the cross he was crucified but that basically sealed his deal. And he was, Jesus uh, was buried, went into the heart of the earth, defeated the devil, took the keys of heaven, uh, uh, of, the, of heaven and hell, or hell and the grave. And he came up, and guess what? He got his armor again, but he didn't put it on. He gave it to the church and said, Tag, you're it. Now you wear my armor. You wear my armor. And whenever you show up wearing his armor, he can't tell the difference between you and Jesus. And you went, but most Christians aren't wearing the full armor of God. All they have is a helmet. And then they're streaking, wearing a helmet of salvation. I'm saved. And they're running from the devil and getting darts in their gluteus maximus. That's a Roman piece of whatever. So we have... This word war means to strategize. We need to get our strategy from the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. God's plans always trump the enemy's plans every yeah. single time. Well, where are you going to get your strategy going to overcome? By the Holy Spirit. And I think one of the biggest ways that we're going to get that is by praying in tongues. Yeah. Praying in the Spirit. I'm convinced the average Christian is not praying in the Spirit enough. And, and some Christians are only using it like I used it when I was a young Christian. I would pray in tongues to make sure I was still saved. Like, okay, good, still there. Praise God. I'm not, no, the holy, it's used so you have a divine connection to get your strategy from heaven. Divine wisdom comes to you. And God can show you the plans of the enemy, traps for the enemy before you ever get there. Oftentimes when you pray in the spirit, God will actually uh, cause that enemy to be defeated and you never even knew it. I'm going You're going to get to heaven and you're going to realize all the times that Satan had a plan for you, and he fell into his own trap, right. you like Wiley E. Coyote, yeah. and, and you're the, like the real roadrunner, beep-beep, and you're just running along, and oftentimes in roadrunner, he'd run by, didn't even know what was happening, but the enemy had bought from Acme yeah. Company, the displosives and all the traps and everything, but he would always fall into it himself and end up falling off the cliff and go, Poof! and the roadrunner would run right by. In heaven, you're going to realize that all the times that beep, beep, you ran by and you didn't realize the trap that was laid. But sometimes he will tell you certain things are going to come and tell you to do something. You don't know why he tells you to do it. Just obey him and you're going you're gonna to go around the other way. And so pray in the spirit. Well, you know, it's just not a prayer time. Throughout the day, start praying in tongues. You know, you can go about your day praying in tongues because it doesn't come out your brain. I can actually read a book, read the Bible, meditate, and still be praying in tongues because it's coming out of my spirit so much wasted time during the day that we're not praying in tongues where the Spirit of God can give us Spirit-inspired prayer that will roll out of us hour after hour that edifies us, builds us up, worships God, and gives us divine mysteries, and we're not using it. Why? It says, we don't war according to the flesh. What does that mean? We don't utilize intimidation, manipulation, physical force for selfish interests. You know, believers walk as human beings, but believers do not war, should not war as human beings. Believers should not war like the rest of the people war. You have other warfare. You have weapons to use. False teachers use physical intimidation, and so we're not to use that. Satan came against Jesus in the wilderness. How did Jesus deal with the devil in the wilderness? And what did the devil say to him every time? If, yeah. if you be the son of God, what would Jesus say? It is written. The devil had an if, and Jesus says, it is written. If, 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 the devil comes to you. Well, you know, how do you know this coronavirus is coming back around? You know, you may be able to get, you know, how, how do you know you're not going to get it? It is written. By his stripes, I'm here. By his, it is written. No plague came near my dwelling. He says, you know, the stock market, it's come up real high, but you know it's going to come down. It's going What if? What if? What if? How are you going to make it in life? It is written by His, you know, my God shall supply all my needs according to His riches and glory. It is written, it is written, it is written. Use the word against them. Verse four, "For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Paul brings out the word weapons and warfare. Again, there's warfare in the Christian life. Yes, You've been set on assignment. If you have no warfare in your life, you're not on assignment. Amen. You're on the carnal cruise lines. past the Santa, suntan lotion. No, you're supposed to be on assignment. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So we see in Ephesians, there's articles of weaponry there. There's the helmet of salvation, the breastplate, the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel of peace. There's a shield of faith and then there's a sword of the Spirit There's a weapon to be used against the enemy, the spoken word of God. But I want you to look at verse 18 in Ephesians 6. Look at verse 17 and 18. Ephesians 6, 17 uh, 17, and 18 says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. That's the rhema, the spoken word of God, that the Holy Spirit will wield. Look at verse 18. There's something missing here of part of your your weaponry praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints praying in the spirit that's called new covenant prayer you know that praying in tongues is a type of prayer you can't find in the old testament it's the only type of prayer you can't find in the old testament every other type of prayer you have in the new testament you can find it in the old but you can't find praying in tongues in the old covenant because praying in tongues is the supernatural help of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Bypassing this little peanut brain and you're able to pray out the full wisdom of God that you don't even understand and you can pray that out hour after hour after hour and bypass the enemy's plans. And so praying in tongues is, is uh, God's supernatural help in prayer. Tell someone next to you, you need help. You need help. help. Now tell someone else, you really need help. But you've got to (laughs) cooperate. 2 Corinthians 6.6, Paul brings out some other weapons that he used. 2 Corinthians 6.6 says that I stand against the enemy by purity. There's a purity on the inside that can stand against impurity today. By knowledge, that's the revelation, knowledge of the word. You can use that. By long-suffering, that's a fruit of the spirit. It's on the inside of you, but it's deep. Really deep down there. But draw it out. It's in there kindness kindness you know that's a fruit of the Spirit you know you can overcome the enemy by kindness you can break a bone with kindness you get that text you know that text and all those emotions come up and say I'm gonna text back a piece of my mind don't do it you don't have much left you're gonna text them a piece of your mind and then they have a piece of their mind and then it gets out of control but kindness By the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. By love. You know, you have the love of God shed abroad in your heart. Wall-to-wall love on the inside you can draw upon, and love will overcome every single time. By the word of truth, by the power of God, you have the power. By the armor of righteousness on the right hand and left, you have the shield of faith on the left and the sword of the Spirit on the right, unless you're left-handed and switch them. But Paul brings out again, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty thin God to pull down strongholds. Carnal weapons would be, again, intimidation, manipulation, physical force, deceit, human reasoning, and shrewdness. Just shrewdness. And so remember Jacob in the Old Covenant that just tricked his brother out of his birthright, tricked his brother. Just always had an angle to... That's why a lot of Christians are. They're just trying to use their mind and trying to to shift and manipulate and try to get people to do what you want. No, no, that's in the natural. You'll never win against the enemy that way. There is not any fleshly technique or words that can can win a spiritual war. Let me say that again. There are not any fleshly techniques or words that can win in a spiritual war. We must depend on spiritual weaponry and a spiritual battle plan. Weapons, what were some of the weapons the false teachers were using? Carnal weapons. Instead of the belt of truth, they fought with manipulation. Instead of the breastplate of righteousness, they fought with the self-image of success. Instead of shoes of the gospel, they fought with smooth words. Instead of the shield of faith, they fought with the perception of power. Instead of the helmet of salvation, they fought with lording it over people. Instead of the sword of the spirit, they fought with human schemes. And so Paul says, I don't use any of those carnal weapons. Amen. And he says, but my weapons are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Say strongholds. strongholds. Well, let's look at strongholds. In Corinth, There was, it was built on a hill, and uh, overlooking Corinth was a huge hill. It was 1,857 feet high, and on top of this big hill on Corinth was a huge fortress. And they could look up and see that fortress. They knew exactly what Paul was talking about. There was a stronghold, which was a fortress. They saw it up there. It looked impregnable. There's no way anybody could ever overcome that. They're safe in that high place. And Paul says it can come down. It can come down, and history says it did come down. And so I don't care how high the fortress is, it can be brought down. So Paul probably was talking about that. He may have been talking about in his own province of Silesia, where Tarsus was, his hometown, some years before he was born, there were pirates that would go into the Mediterranean and they would constantly rob the ships and they would, they would chase them back and they would go up to, into these rock forts in Silesia and they would hide in these rock forts. No one could get them out. And so there was a big problem. So they brought in the, the, Roman, uh, the, the Roman general Pompey said, now we're going to pay you a large sum of money. I don't know how you do it. Fix this. I want the pirates gone. And so he, he just thought and thought about it. He realized, okay, this is how I'm going to do it. And so there's just rock forts off this, the, the water. And so he brought in all these ships, large ships. And on these ships, he brought in the newest weaponry that they created called the catapults. And so catapults were usually land on land. They would shoot over flaming things over the walls. But he put these catapults on the ships. And he brought the ships up near the rock forts. And instead of flaming missiles, he put great grappling hooks on it. And he flipped them up and they, they landed and hooked on the, onto the, the rock cliffs. And they turned the sails of the ships around. And the mighty swell wind would pull the rock rock facings off. And the and the pirates would stream out and they just caught them all. And so Paul brings us out that once the stronghold is taken care of, you can deal with the individual... Uh, Thoughts that are coming towards you. So it says, verse 5. Well, first of all, let's talk about what is a stronghold. A stronghold is a mindset impregnated with hopelessness. A mindset impregnated with hopelessness that causes us to accept as unchangeable something we know that's contrary to God's will. Strongholds are negative patterns of thought and belief that cripple us and breeds feelings of guilt and despair. Strongholds. Strongholds can come down and will come down. Amen. But how, pastor? How? Well, first of all, you get past this hopelessness that you're not a victim. You're a victor. That's right. That there is change, that the Word of God is working, that you are above and not beneath, that you are one that's more than a conqueror. Say, I am. I am. More than a conqueror. I'm a victor, not a victim. I have hope. The word is working in my life. The works of the enemy is being destroyed. They're under my feet. Things are changing. I'm strong in Jesus. I'm strong, I'm strong, I'm strong, I'm strong strong in Jesus' name. You need to start speaking those things. Verse 5. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We have strongholds, we have arguments, and we have thoughts. We're going to say how they, how those three work together. Casting down arguments. Look at the word arguments. It's the Greek word for reasonings. Reasoning. And so this is a general word referring to any and all human demonic thoughts, opinions, reasonings, philosophies, theories, psychologies, perspectives, viewpoints, in all religions. These are reasonings that set themselves up and come into people. And so, but it really what happens is the first thing that really comes in is thoughts. Say thoughts. thoughts. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So what happens is a thought comes, and then once the thought's received, then a reasoning is developed that's against the Word of God. It's a high thing. What's a high thing? It's filled with pride. It exalts itself against the knowledge of God, the Word of God. It's not in line with the Word. It's a thought that leads to a reasoning that creates a stronghold, and a stronghold has to do with your identity. Let me give you an example. You may not like this. You may send pastor an email. That's okay. Let's talk about the... Talk about homosexuality today. Yeah, come on. And so where does that start? It starts with a thought. Yeah. A thought comes. Well, how do you know you're not, yeah. you don't know if you are yeah. this? And all of a sudden, then all of a sudden a feeling comes in line with that. And he can create feelings in us. And the flesh creates feelings. And the feelings come in line with that thought. And all of a sudden, now here comes a reasoning. Oh, I feel that way, so I must be that way. And, and if, I, if I'm feeling that way, then I must be made that way. I must, and the reason, God made me that way. And watch out, here's the stronghold, now I'm gay. Came with a thought, well, maybe I, are you, I don't know. And, and you take the thought and you don't take it captive. And then the feelings come and then the feelings are like, it comes in line with the way your with the thought comes. Then all of a sudden a reasoning comes, I must be that way. I feel that way, I am that way. It's a false reasoning. No, you're not that way. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, Christian. You're righteous and holy and pure. You're a new creation. And so you're who God made you to be, but not that. And so, but then it goes to your identity. Strongholds are connected to your identity. I am this. There's nothing I can do about it. That's a stronghold. And so that's going to come down in Jesus' name. So, again, thoughts, reasonings, strongholds. And they're based on lies of the enemy. And so again, reasoning and thoughts are rooted in pride, self-exaltation, like the Tower of Babel. And so prideful towers were of Judaistic self-righteousness and also Greek philosophy in the day. And so it says, bringing every thought into captivity. Did you remember the, the rock cliffs of Cilicia when he pulled them down? All the pirates came flooding out and you could capture one by one. Those are like thoughts that was inside, hides inside that stronghold. Once the stronghold comes down, then all of a sudden you got to deal with the thoughts because the devil wants to re-put up that stronghold. The thoughts will come back, but no, you collect and say no. And so you need to, you need to know the art. We're almost done. There's hope. <laughs> Do spiritual warfare. It'll get through. Okay, you need to know the art of spiritual warfare because what we're talking about spiritual warfare. Let me tell you how a lot of people in the church has done spiritual warfare, that they need to get in a plane, they need to fly up into the heavenlies, we're closer to where all the spirits are in the heavenlies and bind them in the, in the heavenlies in the airplanes. <laughs> Let me tell you where the battlefield of spiritual warfare takes place. The six inches between your two ears. Thoughts, reasonings, strongholds, pull them down. And you have a part to play in that. Now, we can help that when you come to church. I'm hitting you with missiles they are hitting those strongholds one after another after another. But, you, from, but you're from you not going to help things if you're going to be listening to the Facebook prophets yeah. Come on. and and listening to the news all day long and all the world of all day long. You're not helping. Please help me. Yeah. Wow. Cut off some of this stuff. Yeah. A lot, how about all of it? If it's not of the devil, just, or if it's of the devil, just cut it off and get into the Word. Amen. Stop living in Facebook and get your face in the book. Thank you. (laughs) We're going to need to control our mind. Tell someone, are you out of your mind? (laughs) You can't control what you think. You can't control what you think. The devil, you you can't help birds flying over your head, but if they start taking a nest in your hair, that's on you. You can control what you think. It says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord. He will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This is the unrighteous, but how about there's righteous that need to forsake their thoughts. Don't lean to your own understanding. Acknowledge God in all his ways. And so again, we have our own reasonings and stuff like that. They got to come down. Are you going to let the Bible form what you believe? there's a majority of Christians that don't allow the Bible to stand in, in, in between what they believe. And, and as, a, as a disciple, you're a convert, you could be saved and go into heaven, but if you want to be a disciple, you've got to make this decision. I'm going to let the Bible stand in the way of what I believe. You know why unbelievers and the carnal and the pride and the liberals don't like us? Because we don't change our opinions. The Word never changes. It read it yesterday, it reads it today, and it'll read it forever. It never changes. A disciple never changes. That's right. Morality doesn't change. Truth never changes. That's why they don't like you. You don't change. They want you to change. Well, you know, it's, we're in the 21st century. Are we? I don't know. We're somewhere. We're in the modern age. You ever got a computer virus? I hate those things. And how do they get in a lot of times? Because you're clicking on harmless emails that says, is this you in the video? I want to see me in the video. <laughs> and all of a sudden you have a virus shutting down your computer. Innocent emails. that you How do we get a virus from the devil in our heart? Because we're, we're just lax about what comes into our brain. We just let the sewage of the world come in and it lodges in there and we don't challenge it. You're watching, a, a, you know, TV about how you might get sickness, you might get this, you need this drug, you know, that's going to take away your sore elbow, but you'll have a bleeding colon. <laughs> Is that a good cha- I have full range of motion, but I got a colon bleeding. Is that a good exchange? You better get this, because you might get this. And you don't challenge it. No. Virus, thought, and then slowly gets into reasoning, and takes root. Oh, you're just being too—you're just being radical. You better get radical.
1: That's right.
0: The devil's radical.
1: Amen.
0: <clears throat> Settle down says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. When you see the word obedient, know in the New Testament, it's synonymous with trusting and believing in Jesus wow. and what he's done. Bring every thought to trusting in Jesus' finished work. Because thoughts will come in, and you need to ask every thought that comes in, are you leading me to trust Jesus? Are you leading me to trust in what he's accomplished at the cross for me? Is that thought coming? And oftentimes those thoughts are not causing you to trust. matter of fact, it's causing you to distrust Jesus. And to get you off uh, by yourself outside of the word of God, outside of trusting in Jesus. And so you need to bring every thought to trusting Jesus in his finished work. That's just so much work. That's bondage, pastor. Uh. To control my mind is bondage. Uh. While you're all like this, that's bondage, pastor. (laughs) Such bondage you're putting me under. (laughs) I'm trying to free you. So you need to know the art of spiritual warfare. What's that? That when a thought comes, acknowledge the lie verbally. That's a lie. Say it. You don't fight thoughts with thoughts. You overcome thoughts with words. Jesus didn't think resistance against Satan in the wilderness. He spoke it. It is written. So you need to acknowledge the lie verbally. That's the A. Then R, replace it with the truth. And then T, think on the truth, meditate on the truth. I love Philippians 4.8. Can you pop that up? I I used to watch uh, a commercial called, uh, it was for uh, V8, vegetable juice. If you're under 30, Google it, you'll see it. But on that commercial, someone was all run down and finally he went, I should have had a V8. I see so many Christians run down, they're bitter, they're upset. I should have had a 4 8. A Philippians 4 8. Because let me find out. There's eight filters here that you should filter every thought through. It says finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report. If there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things eight filters and the only thing that will make it through the eight filters is Jesus and what belongs to him and who you are in the spirit and so this is where you have to be radical with your thought life so you have to bring that thing down that that lie that's brought you to to an identity issue that you can't change I am who I am and I can't change it that's a lie you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus you have power you have authority tell someone I'm strong I'm strong, I'm strong strong. strong. in Jesus' name. Let the weak say, let the weak say, I'm weak, I'm tired, I'm I'm poor, lonely and depressed, woe is me, no, no, I'm strong, I'm strong, 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 strong in Jesus' name. amen that'll change your attitude the devil's oh they're waking up they know who they are (laughs) tell someone you may not be who you think you are you are living under stolen identity false identity verse six being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled what's this verse talking about he says you know what you need to decide where you're going to stand congregation where are you going to stand are you going to serve the lord are you going to stand in the word of god and the majority said yes i'm going to stand up for the word of god we're behind you paul we're behind the teaching of the word of god and once he could get the majority of the congregation in line that's when he could bring correction on the ones that weren't because if the church in the whole wasn't in line with the word correction would not work excommunication wouldn't work and so it says where are you standing and that's what the lord's saying to you as as a Who are you going to serve today? Where are you standing today? Because guess what? It's getting darker and lighter. And the de there's no, there's no gray anymore. There's not a fence to stand on anymore. You're either standing for God or against God. And so you need to decide today, am I going to be a radical believer today? Because that's what it's going to take. Am I going to serve the Lord? Am I going to make that decision today? And it starts with your heart. It starts with your thought life, what you're allowing in. And are you going to be filled with the Holy Spirit? speaking in other tongues throughout the day meditating on the word of god and when a thought comes you you acknowledge it as a lie you replace it with the truth and you speak and meditate the truth Come on. and after a while it'll make a big difference in your life you. bow your heads father i thank you so much for what you said today and today i thank you you give us a challenge today <clears throat> who are we going to serve and, and and start serving god starts with our mind our thoughts our attention where is it and Lord we're going to serve you by the power of the Holy Spirit we're going to serve you we're going to pray in tongues throughout the day we're going to meditate the word we're going to have the art of warfare and we're going to be about our assignment we're serving you today and I thank you father you have divine weaponry that will cause us to be victorious every single time in Jesus name amen let's worship God together
1: Amen. that was a good word wasn't the church Don't give up that hope. God is so good and he is fighting for you. Don't give up that hope. Don't do it. He is fighting for you. He is with you. I just want you to know that he is with you. And he will be with you every step of the way.
0: There is nothing in your life that He hasn't already provided for. So don't you give up that hope.
1: Uh, Jeremiah 23, verse 16 says, This is what the Lord of heaven's army says to his people do not listen to these prophets when they prophesy to you fulfilling filling you with futile hopes they are making up everything they say they do not speak for the lord and I feel like hope is the confident expectation of the goodness of god and when the enemy comes in and he's telling us things that he's just making stuff up Or he's calling back to remembrance things that you've done or the person that you used to be before you knew Jesus. They're making everything up, they say. They do not speak for the Lord. The Lord says that you can trust and you can expect with a confident expectation his goodness for you today. Don't let go.